Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 27th of January and welcome to episode 90 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Today on the show, we are focusing on genetics and the medium and long-term benefits of investing in this area on the farm. We are joined by Rose Jackson, who is a senior dairy consultant at Kite and dairy farmer Richard Ward. As always, we're also joined by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Auckland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? I'm bringing you my report while sitting on the minute hand of the doomsday clock, which is apparently 100 seconds to doomsday and complete global destruction. People think I'm gloomy. (laughs) In my bid to be positive, I'm doing my bit to slow down the clock and save the world. But it does beg the question as to why, when we've got 100 seconds before Armageddon, we're talking about genetics, which is all about the next generation. And I'm far from happy about today's subject, I have to say. You think you're so subtle, Becky Leach, choosing this. (laughs) But I've twigged it and I know what you're up to. Not sure John has, but I'll tell him and then we'll have our day. Because the subliminal message about genetics is this. The next generation is better than the old one. The past generation is, well, (laughs) past it. And the past generation means John and me. And what you're effectively saying is we're old hat. We need putting out to pasture to make way for the next generation with better genes. Speak now if you disagree. I said, speak now if you disagree. <laughs> I'm going to let Rose come in and make the point. I'm not going to. I'm not going to feed your fire. <laughs> anyway, I'll be looking for every comment in this podcast which bigs up the next generation and casts aspersions on the talent, ability, and merit of John and my generation. And if I hear it, I'm going to do what lawyers do in court and object. Ben, you're going to have to be judged and decide whether to accept or overrule it or not. Okay. No good asking Becky because she'd be biased. (laughs) There, Rose, no pressure. But now I've made my point, may I say how delighted I am that we've got Rose on. Kite's new dominator of genetics or genominator. See what I did there? I'm going to get a T-shirt made. (laughs) (laughs) The Genominator. Anyway, welcome, Rose. And may I just say that phenotypically, get that? Oh, no. Phenotypically, you are the most beautiful person we've had on this podcast talking about genetics. After Marco Winters and Mark Roach. (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure there's a compliment there or not (laughs) and richard you're beautiful as well oh thank you very much anyway while they're blushing and fanning themselves to cool down here's my market report and i'm going to start with milk volumes new zealand volumes were down again in december by 5.5 percent on a solids basis that's the lowest volume for a decade and we'll be hearing more about that next week i think in the u.s uh, december volumes were also down fractionally but significantly that's two negative months in a row and we haven't had that 
since 2019. And Europe is down for the third consecutive month and four out of the last five. In the UK, uh, we're tracking 2.7% down. And we've got to go back to the 19th of October now to see a day where volumes for this milk year were higher than last year. And there have been only six days since September when volumes this year were higher. Consequently, everything's tight everywhere. On prices in Europe, cream looks as if it's rallied back up a bit. Uh, with limited volumes there, and butter had been slipping back a touch, but the early indications are that it may have strengthened a touch on the back of uh, the cream increase. Uh, not all the prices are in yet because we're recording on a Thursday, but some butter has traded for €5,750 to 5800 So stable at worst, at best slightly up. Powders remain strong, uh, SMP as high as 3650. And if we combine butter and skim milk prices, they convert to a farm gate price of 40 pence, so well ahead of farm gate returns. On the futures, well, New Zealand butters have uh, soared again, they're up $250 on the next six months and have crossed $6,000 for the first time huge price and that's all the way through to june eu prices are up nicely too although not as much as down under and again we've got 40 pence plus on the milk price board for february and march on cheese there's some talk in europe prices are firming again and sellers are becoming more bullish um, here, things are pretty static, though, and on cheddar, the going rate is still 3,800. So to equate that to a milk price, it's about 38 pence. In the UK, cream is still on the rise and between around 225 and 230, say some traders, a bit less, say others. And spot milk is in the high 40 pence zone. So all in all this week, I'm not detecting many changes, if any changes in prices here, so very stable. In fact, you could have done without me altogether. But then what would this podcast be like? So that's it. Back to hanging on the hand of the doomsday clock and saving the world. There's nothing this podcast can't achieve, you know. So enjoy your 100 seconds, everyone, and your weekend. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Rose, welcome to the show. Um, genetics features heavily in the Dairy 2030 document, and we've touched on it in previous episodes. But aside from the obvious benefits, new blood into a herd, or an industry for that matter, over old blood brings... Objection! <laughs> Overruled. <laughs> Why do you think... It's going to be such a key element for dairy businesses in the coming years. Yeah, thanks, Will. Um, so just going back to basics, like we know a cow's performance is down to a combination of her genetics and the environment. And in my previous role as a clinical vet, um, I noticed that whilst most vets tended to focus on the environment and the management, um, 
I realised that if the herd genetics aren't right, it's going to hold you back and make everything much more difficult. So I, th- I think now everyone's getting better at managing ca- the cows. Uh, mm. So genetics is going to be our next limiting factor. Um, we all know that in a herd, you've got those individual cows that seem to outperform everybody else without any difference in in input. And obviously the ideal would be to have a herd of, of those perfect cows and genetics is is the tool to get you there. Um, the second bit of your question relates to the 2030 document, which recognises that sustainability is all about improving efficiency. And genetics obviously plays a big part of that. Um, so it's estimated that focusing on genetic improvement equates to uh, around a 1% reduction in the carbon output of a dairy herd each year, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's cumulative. So over 20 yeah. years, you can effectively reduce your greenhouse gas emissions by 20%. And that, that's a real key thing with genetics is any changes that you make, be it good or bad, um, it's cumulative and permanent. Um, so that that's always something to think about when we're thinking about genetics. Mm, for sure. Um, can you talk about your work with clients on genetic strategy on farm? Um, what, what kind of things are you doing and what's involved in putting it together? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially we need to understand our current position before you can start to plan for the future. Um, so my starting point is always to go through a herd genetic review, which is um, a, a tool provided by AHDB. Um, so a really good starting point uh, to have a look at where the herd genetics are currently and where they're likely to be heading in the future. Um, so also have a look at where a herd sits in terms of national averages, how reliable or accurate the data is, um, and what are the areas that are good or bad in terms of genetic predictions, and also how that translates into actual performance on the farm. Um, alongside that, I like to review the number of heifers that are on the ground and look at the semen use percentages to, to calculate how many heifers are coming through um because obviously that's a really important part of the breeding strategy going forward whether you've got too many heifers not that sort of thing um and then the other thing to think about is that a breeding strategy is going to look very different from herd to herd so we need to take any any sort of future um major changes in management into account as well as trying to preempt any shifts in the milk buyers um so an example of this is um, a herd I worked with in my previous job um, that had a very clear sort of five-year plan of switching from a very old-fashioned, tiny little herringbone parlour over to robots. Um, so we sort of set the breeding objectives at the start of the five years um, to breed a kind of robust, long-lived cow, but with a particular focus on those other traits as well, um, to try and breed a cow that's going to fit the robots in five years' time. Um, also, whilst keeping an eye on his milk contract at that time, um, and actually, I'm happy to say I've been to that herd recently, and the cows are now in the robots, and everything's looking great. So that was that was really nice, uh, happy story. Oh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I must be fun to be involved in. Um, Richard, thanks for coming on the show today. Can you tell us a bit about your farm and your business, please? Yeah, no problem, Will. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, farm in South Derbyshire. Uh, we've got about 180 Holstein cows. Um, we farm a mixture of grass and maize, all of which obviously goes back into the back into the cows. Uh, we are, I suppose, a classic sort of high input, high output um, farm, uh, high input output herd. Uh, we carve all year round. Uh, the cows are housed all year round as well on sand. Um, they're all fed the same ration. Uh, all the milking cows get uh, get the same ration. There's no cake um, in the parlour. There's no cake outside the parlour either. Uh, depending on what list you look at, we are just north of 13,000 litres with uh, just under 1,000 kilos of uh, solids. 
turning to genetics, why and, and when did you decide to focus more on the genetics of the herd? Uh, really, I suppose that goes back to um, a decision we made quite a while ago. I mean, we, we sort of started working with Cogent on their, on their visions programme, looking at young bulls and, and things like that. Um, that led us into using a fair chunk of, of genomic bulls, genomic, genomic size in the herd. And that, I suppose, gave us some faith and some confidence in the in the genomics uh, and, the, and the technology that um, that, that is. We we're fairly early adopters of that, and we we're fairly early adopters of sex semen as well. Uh, okay. We we're using sex semen on 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 the heifers, um, you know, exclusively on the heifers at, at, at that point, and getting fairly good results from that. So, uh, when the uh, genomic tests uh, became started, become economic to use on heifers. We sort of saw the opportunity there to, to combine those two technologies and um, yep. and really give the the potential for the young stock a, a real boost. So that that really was the point at which we started really drilling down and focusing on the genetics of the genetics of the herd and the young stock. Okay, Rose, can you tell us about EcoFeed and and, and the background behind that? Yeah, so EcoFeed um, it's a genomic trait developed by ST genetics over in the states so uh, obviously uh, cogent over here um looking at um trying to predict the feed efficiency of an animal so they're actually physically measuring individual feed intakes and relating that to how that correlates with production um so the original um data was based on growing heifers um but these animals are now in now in milk so we're starting to get the data through on the milking cows as well um and the the results out sort of fairly recently suggest that the variation in the maintenance feed requirements equates to a difference of somewhere between two and four kilos dry matter intake from the high eco feed score cows to the low eco feed score cows. Um, it's got high heritability, so around 19%, which is similar to your, your fat and protein, so you can make some rapid gains in it. Um, and also it's important to say that it's, it's independent of other traits. So Using it as a selection tool doesn't mean you're going to negatively impact on other areas, so you can just select for that on its own. Um, we know that feed represents one of the biggest financial costs on farm, but also one of the biggest impacts on carbon footprint as well. So if we can make any efficiency here, it's, it's a sort of win-win situation. Sure. Richard, how do you see um, your results of the trial being fed back to practical measures on a farm level? And what, what does it mean in terms of your short and long-term decision-making? Um, I think it individually, it's just another tool in the box, really, isn't it? But it's a tool that's, that's becoming very much more relevant in, in uh, the way we're sort of dairy farming today. Um, the, the main driver for us is always going to be pushing solids um, as efficiently as we can, you know, trying to get the cows to, to bang out as many solids as we can. Um, but we've also got to attack that efficiency from both ends, I think. You know, if we can, it's no good chucking more solids out if it's costing us more money to do it. We need to be able to do it if we can do it and feed less feed as well. Then, uh, you know, we're sort of uh, compounding that gain. So, yeah, that's where hopefully we can sort of utilise it on the farm. Um, use the bulls that are going to give us the, the production, but also try and use those uh, within that, that uh, cohort that are going to uh, be as efficient as possible as far as... Um, as far as inputs are concerned. Richard, you have a lot of information at your fingertips now. So what are your targets and objectives in terms of breeding? Uh, well, we mentioned yield and efficiency before. Yield and efficiency um, are always going to be the key drivers. Um, 
that yield and efficiency are different things for different farmers, aren't they? Uh, there's a lot of influencing factors in that as well. You know, we're trying to keep um, good solid cows. Um, we're trying to keep good square cows, you know, um, good rump angle, uh, chest width and, and uh, rump width. Um, but also pushing those, uh, the solids outputs. Uh, we've had, for many years, we've had a very, very simple breeding program, breeding strategy, and that's, that's worked really well. What we're doing now probably is bringing in more data uh, we can use the data that we're getting in um, and we can use the expertise. Uh, we work with Cogent, obviously there's loads of different people who give you advice, but we're working with Cogent and the guy there has got our data and uh, he can really drill down into those uh, those figures, pick out the very best efforts that we've got, match them all with the bulls and uh, and you know help with the genomic data to, to push the yields and efficiency forward. And, uh, and Rose, when when you or, or, or Cogent looking at that that data, that, that genetic performance data, when uh, when when you're talking about setting key priorities, uh, what is that data telling you, and uh, what what do you think that those priorities should be? Yeah, so Richard's in the top five percent of herds in the UK for PLI, and as we've seen, has has made great leaps in terms of his milk solids um, per cow. Uh, so I had a quick look at the data before coming on today, and and about 10% of the herd are giving more than four kilos combined fat and protein a day. Um, and actually the best cows giving over six kilos. Um, and that works out around one ton of solids per cow per year. Um, so the current focus really, I would say, is to continue to select for increasing solids, as we've said, whilst also focusing on fertility and lifespan to maximize those lifespan yields, uh, lifetime yields rather. So it's it's a case of trying to get more out of the cows without expanding the herd basically um and i think the eco feed trait is going to be a very useful addition to that selection process in the sort of medium term sure and richard when you reflect back on the performance of the herd over the longer term what do you think's brought about the biggest improvements ah crikey um we've we've always had cows that given milk um we've always had uh fairly big cows as well. We've got a history of sort of uh, Canadian genetics in the herd as, as many farms have, you know, many farms that have sort of gone down the same route as ours have used a lot of Canadian genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, we've sort of built on that and consolidated that as well uh, with, the, with the type strategy that we've, that we've uh, been breeding with. Simple as it is, it's, it's, it's been relatively effective. Um, but um, and we've used a lot of genomic size as well. You know, those genomic size, I think, that we use as part of the, the visions program and, and whatnot have really, really gave us a boost without it actually realising, I think, on the, in the genetic PLI. You know, we've been using most advanced gen- genetics that are available with, almost without us realising it. Uh, so when we got to the point when we could start testing them, I think the cows were already at, at, at a good place. The heifers were already at a good place. But that combination that I mentioned earlier, Really, in the last few years, has been the, the biggest driver and the biggest push to to the to the PLI, the, the heifers and the quality of the heifers and the ability and potential of those heifers to do what we want them to do. You know, bringing together the sex semen and bringing together the um, uh, the genomic results, we've been able to breed the heifers from very much the best the best cows that we've that we've got, the best ones you know, for our system. Uh, so, yeah, those those. Really accelerated genetic gains, I think, are, are, are all down to that, to, to the combination of those two technologies. Yeah. And finally, then, Rose, uh, here's your chance to issue a rallying cry. Where do you think genetics and genomic planning should sit in terms of wider dairy business management today? 
Yeah, so I, I think it's really clear that dairy businesses need to invest in genetics as well as the environment. So sort of think of it as breeding the right cow for your system rather than trying to shoehorn a cow into a system that doesn't work. Um, I think really every farm should have a, a full herd genetic audit once a year in the same way that you review your, your herd health and your business performance every year. Um, so that would involve sort of a review of the breeding objectives alongside your herd performance, because obviously the objectives might change over time. Um, and in addition to that, sort of more ongoing review of any genomic data coming through um, and also having a look at the bull, bull selection every following every proof run, so sort of three times a year. Um, and yeah, just, just a final one for Chris, um, although we keep saying about the younger generation being better, you, your heifers, and you, you see, you really see this in genomic testing, uh, there's a lot of them that aren't necessarily any better than the older cows, but unless you... Rose, you absolute traitor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love you yeah. even more, Rose. <laughs> That's a very good point to make, actually. It's, it's not, we, we used to use sex semen and we used to use it exclusively on the heifers in, in, the, in the hope that the heifers were always going to be the best the best animals to breed from. And, and generally speaking, as a whole herd base, they are. But if you can really select uh, as well as you can, you can, you can trim out some of those heifers that aren't. And there are those heifers there. And there, is, there are also sort of third calf cows that are, that are just as good as the, the heifers. And, and if you're not picking, that, picking up on those and not, not uh, utilising those genetics, then it's a waste. I think Rose let you off really easily earlier. She didn't tell the little story that she told me the other day when we were on the Zoom, did you, Rose? Yeah, so actually, yeah, that, that, that totally fits in with what we were just saying in that I remember back in 2016 or something when we were having a chat in the kitchen around genomics and you said, Richard, at the time, um, we, I don't see the point in genomic testing these efforts because I'm just going to serve them all to sex semen anyway. And then obviously you've come full circle because... It, it, the variation in those first ones that you genomic tested, you didn't realise the worst ones would be quite as bad as they were. I think is how you. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think that's quite a bad thing to say, Rose. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it means he didn't think the good ones would be as good as they were, didn't you, Richard? <laughs> it is a very good point. There are some heifers in in there are some genetics in the heifers that just aren't worth breeding from, and um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that cow that heifer isn't going to fit into the herd and isn't going to produce a lot of milk. It just means that that animal isn't going to pass those genetics on to the to the next generation. So they're not the ones, you haven't got to shoot them all, you know, they're not the ones that you, you want to be in the herd, but they're not necessarily the ones you want to be breeding the next generation from. It's having that information and, and, and using it is, is where the gains are. I think that really came through when you were talking earlier, Rose, that you said you'd looked at Richard data, Richard's data and, you know, there were four kilo cows and there were six kilo cows, you know, that you're getting another 50% more off, you know, off some of the animals, isn't it? And it's, you know, the, the, like you say, there's, there's today's objectives but there's also tomorrow's and next week's and next month's objectives isn't there yeah yeah and you, and you talked about cow environment earlier rose in terms of you know focusing on a jet, genetics focusing on cow environment but there's almost almost that bigger environmental picture and that's where it fits into dairy 2030 a little bit isn't it that um you know investing in ge genetics is not just investing in genetics and herd performance it's also investing in your environmental footprint isn't it because you know i think richard when we spoke and, and rose said it earlier about you're trying to get more from the herd without necessarily increasing cow numbers now i think you've got some sort of land limiting reasons locally for that have you yeah we have we're, we're very tight on land uh don't really want to start spending 20 grand an acre buying any more of it but um yeah getting as much out of the cows as, 
as efficiently as, as we can, which is obviously the other important thing, is, is, is absolutely critical for us. And getting as much milk, the way I look at it, you know, we want to get as much milk out of each cubicle space that we've got, uh, or as much solids out of each cubicle space, and that's really what we're trying to do, I suppose. I just want Rose to come back in, if she will, from, from a, you know, because there were some quite stretching targets in Dairy 2030 about, you know, where the national herd would be in terms of output and yield per cow, and we're just interested in Rose's thoughts on, you know, whether that's going to come majority from genetics or cow environment yeah well as i say the environment ends up being the limiting thing because i already think people are doing a very good job of that part of it but in terms of the genetic yield potential if you think about the best herds in the uk and compare those to the best herds in the state and states and what milk they're pushing out that there's always room for improvement and um it's not just a straight steady increase it's it's exponential once you start focusing in on it so um yeah i really think you know, the sky's the limit almost because we just keep getting better. But it is it is all down to genetics. Well, I think that's a really good place to leave it. Um, that's all we have time for. But a very big thank you to our guests today, Rose Jackson, Richard Ward and Chris Walkland, who's off to cheer himself up um, by <laughs> thinking about the parable of the old bull and the young bull. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're going international next week. Um, we're heading to New Zealand to speak to Phil Giorno. Uh, so I hope you can join us then. Um, but for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.